Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 28 of Trail Society brought to you by Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Kiri Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. It's early in the morning here stateside. I just finished drinking my morning go-to athletic greens. We could call it a green drink or a supplement adjacent. But you know, it doesn't really fit into either of those categories. It's this balance of nutrients, minerals, phytonutrients, a probiotic and adaptogens. And the travel packs will definitely be heading with me to Europe very soon. Because you know, when I'm outside of my own kitchen, things can get a little bit confusing. So if you want to give Athletic Greens a try, go over to www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. And with your order, they're going to give you one free year supply of immune supporting vitamin D dropper and five free travel packets with your first purchase. Speaking of Europe, Kelly, where are you? I think you've got the best internet out of all of us right now, which is surprising <laughs> actually. Thanks to hotspots and yeah, uh, you know, many failed attempts at traveling uh, abroad, but yeah, I'm in France. So it's not the morning for me. I'm, you know, it's winding down here. Not actually not. It's like 4 PM. They call it like le goûter here in France. So I'm about to <laughs> This is, this is my 4 p.m. snack, you gals. You're my 4 p.m. snack. <laughs> Ooh. Or as Lisa would say, I'm not a snack. I'm a whole damn meal. Actually, Corinne, last time in uh, 2019 when I was here with you last, we like had a like literally tour of Mont Blanc. Theme, theme music was Lizzo. That was, oh. a, that was a great one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was introduced and I feel like there was like some introduction to Lizzo on that. And I was like, Hello, you have to stop right now on the trail and listen to this song. This will be our theme song for the race there's, right now. Oh man, there's then since then there's been some other great Lizzo tracks to rock out to. Yeah, so uh, but yeah, that's where I am, just hanging out. And then Keely, Keely, you've been like on tour to Mountain West right now. <laughs> where are you currently recording from? Yeah, I'm currently in Estes Park, and we had crazy thunderstorms last night, so our Wi-Fi was going in and out a lot yesterday, so hopefully we hold true today. But yeah, kind of a little tour to Colorado. Wish Hillary was here so we could pop by and see her, but uh, JT's never been here, so we're doing a nice tour and, and popping by a lot of friends that we have in the area, so it'll be a lovely little week. Oh, that is super exciting. It's kind of a little, a little hike, little bike vacation going on, and it sounds like update us a little bit. We've seen you out moving about bootless. So what's going on? Yeah. So I got the green light to hike on like proper trail, which is nice while we're in an ankle brace and I'm allowed to walk now with no brace at all on like flat stuff. And so my, my PT thinks the return to run will be in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's still kind of TBD, which is really frustrating. I was telling Hillary before this, that it's really hard to have the decision-making on your own shoulders, or at least it feels that way because I don't really trust my own opinion anymore. Um, like for instance, when I've had flare-ups before I've gone to my PT and he's made me run and I refuse to, but as soon as I do, I'm able to. And so it's almost like I need that push to be able to trust myself. And so it's been a very interesting comeback where I feel like some days I think I'll never run again. And some days I'm like, okay, I'm going to be running here soon. And so just trying to be patient. I don't want to come back too soon because the risk of tearing those off the bone is pretty high. And that would be definitely necessitate surgery. So trying to be patient and slowly walking more and more and it feels great. So we're on the mend. Good. That's I, I think we've all experienced that though, right? Like Hilly, like being like, can I do this thing? Can't I do this thing? Why do I have to decide? Why isn't there a formula that tells me exactly like exactly. how many minutes of running I should do each day? Believe me, I wish I had that still. And it takes a long time, but you know, it's like, I mean, 
I still feel like I'm like not on the other side of anything. I'm still figuring it out. Like I'm definitely not an expert. Um, and I don't think any of us are. It's hard anytime you go through it. And so I still wish that like, and it's been like five years or like more, you know, it's like, it's just a, yeah, it's an ongoing process. And it, it, but I think the cool thing is, is that once you kind of go through that, you gain more confidence and then you realize for next time, like when you start to experience things, you're like, oh, okay, this is familiar. I know exactly what to do. Let's chill out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're all learning. I think is what we're saying there. Um, and you get to learning. Europe soon too, right? Mm-hmm. I, we are recording on Tuesday morning. This will come out a week from today during, while I'm racing, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, Wow. Okay. Um, shout outs while I'm racing TDS, you guys, I leave for Europe Thursday evening. I get in Friday because when you race at midnight, there's no real sense, I think, in adjusting to any time zones. Mm-hmm. So nope. I'm flying in uh, pretty close to to the race, but then I'll be around UTMB week all week. I'm doing live commentary for OCC, CCC, and UTMB. And then I get to hang out in Austria for a couple of weeks with my teammates. And that'll be really fun. So excited. I'm so spoiled. Very cool. <laughs> um, so I'm in the I'm in the throes of panic packing right now, which is going really well. Yeah. <laughs> you always forget a toothbrush when you panic pack. Oh, I'm like texting all my teammates, <laughs> like, what is something that you wish you had brought? Like what you've been over there for a month now. What 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 was silly that you didn't pack that you wish you had brought? So I'm trying to figure that out. All right the now. mandatory kit. I'm just kidding. Oh, I always forget I that. I got all that. Peanut butter. <laughs> a jar of peanut butter. something yeah I know or like the sweater that I don't think I need but maybe I should bring anyway it's hard because it's been like 80 every day there but yet like I could do some glacier travel while I'm there or I could like I'm gonna be there until the end of September so it could like be snowy and rainy and gross so that's the hard part yeah and I will say that even like the last what um two days ago there's actually snow at 3,000 meters and the highest point for TDS and UTMB is around 2,600 meters so it still could get pretty cold so yeah so it's yeah. got to bring everything I'm like okay casual clothing running clothing rain stuff snow stuff it's muckers but. Let's talk some race results, some European race results to get us started. Sears and all icon race. How many, does anyone know how many years Sears and all has been going on for forever? Is that oh, the man, right answer? I have, <laughs> I have no idea how many years it's been going on for. I should look this up. We should know, but it started over 40 years ago. Whoa. So it's one of the longest running trail races in Europe. Yes. Wow. It's super stout. It's been part of the World Mountain Running Association for a long time. It's been part of the Golden Trail series for the last couple of years. It draws insanely competitive fields. I was very, very lucky. I got to go run it in 2018 as my warm up for TDS that year, which I thought was kind of clever. Um, did not, I mean, got my butt handed to me. I was like 35th or something. Um, and well, way, way slower than, you know, whoever was 35th this year. Um, but it's really, it's really cool because it pulls over a bunch of athletes that I don't think we traditionally see and many of the trail races, including, um, including a bunch of African athletes. And this year, the Kenyans really like, I mean, I remember seeing them in 2018 run and they performed really well that year as well, but this is a race that they come to year after year. And I mean, I don't know how many, they took like five of the 10 top 10 positions in the women's field. They were first and third in both the men's race and the women's race in the men's race. Um, actually rookies, rookies for this race in both the men's and women's race also won Kenyan athletes in the men's race. It was Mark, um, Kangogo. He won, um, his countryman, Patrick Kipinogo was 
third, but it was this really interesting battle. A Spanish runner actually, like, they said he jumped off the top of the final uphill, essentially, for the downhill section, because it is, it, it climbs aggressively at the start, and then it's like this bomber downhill to the finish. It's so much fun. You're passing people, like, left and right. Um the Spanish runner blazed through the field all the way up to second and finished just a minute ahead of third. Um, Arno Blaine's was that second place male runner. So really kind of cool, exciting finish on that, on that field. Um, on the men's side, the women's side, Kenya's Esther Chesang won the women's race followed, And she's also, once again, a rookie at Sears and all. So really cool to see. Um, Maude Matthews, who we've talked about at length here <laughs> is so, so talented. Um, was second in the women's race. And then Phileris Kissang was third in the women's race. But giving some shout out to some U.S. ladies here. Um, the U.S. men didn't do quite as well. The U.S. women, though, put two in the top 10 with um, Bailey uh, Kowalczyk and Tabor Hemming in sixth and 10th. Um, Bailey is no stranger to the international field. Really cool to see Tabor racing in a field like this. I think they both had really good climbs and kind of hung on on the descent. I know Bailey moved back a few spots on that descent, but to see them finish sixth and 10th, really, really strong showing in the women's field was very cool. Yeah. I'm just really excited. So cool. So cool. I was talking to Tabor a bit. She's like, it's my first one. I'm so nervous. It's like, you're going to do great. It's no different than, because I just saw her speed go. It's like, it's no different. You have the altitude advantage. Just use that. (laughs) Run up the hill. You're going to be fine. Yeah. It's a wild race. It's the first, it was a race that I got pushed into a street sign at the start by like this older Swiss gentleman. And I pushed him right back and he was not very happy that I pushed him back, but you know, he, he started it. That's my, that's my argument. Um, who can say the, I'm so bad at pronouncing European names. I'm doing commentary for OCC is going to be amazing. Um, European championships are going on right now. It's kind of like a mini Olympics. Um, the women's marathon just happened recently and we got a little trail phenom. Who's also really good on the road. Um, she runs for Nike. Nike. Um, it's from the Netherlands, but is living in Switzerland, finishing up her PhD She's insanely smart. Um, and she finished third in the marathon in 228.52 and was just 17 seconds back from the winner. It's insane. She opted to not, she qualified to actually race at world championships as well um, that were in Eugene not that long ago, but they opted to put her, they opted to keep her in Europe and to run European championships instead, which I think was really smart. And then we'll see her back on the trail scene at the remainder of the golden trail races later this season, stateside, actually, I think at Pikes Peak. And the Flagstaff mm. Flagstaff Sky Peaks. So that cool. will be excited to see her on US soil ripping it up. But just kind of cool to see, you know, this trail stud, um, this marathon stud getting to do both in a season and doing both just insanely well. Probably once yeah. in a once in a generation talent, to be honest. Yeah, and that was her third marathon ever. So her second marathon was the new the new record for her country. The third marathon was third in the European championship. So she's on a terror. Yeah, that's, that's bonkers. I'm like so blown away by her exceptional talent. Um, We'll see. We'll see how the trail scene or how, like, I think we saw her at um, Zagama, right? That's what, and it was like, she blasted the uphill and kind of held on the downhill. And I'm just excited to see kind of what that looks like as she like grows, grows more and more confident descending and being on the technical terrain. Yeah. I don't want to race her. I don't want to race her either. (laughs) Nose goes, we'll, uh, 
we'll bring Rachel Drake back postpartum and they can, they can have fundraising. Um, <laughs> okay. So we discussed this offline a little bit, but we just want to give a shout out. There's a new self-supported PCT FKT. So a uh, fast known time on the Pacific Crest Trail. I was, it was pointed out to me recently that we've got a lot of acronyms in our mm-hmm. sport. And when you're first entering the trail world, it might be, it might take a second to catch on to, to all the acronyms. So self-supported, right? He had to have all of his own drops out on the out on course for him. He could take any aid that was given to every single hiker or offered to every single hiker, but couldn't have personal support out there. British hiker Josh Perry set the overall self-supported FKT because previous to this, the self-supported FKT was held by Heather Amish. Um, Anish. So to to set it, kind of setting the overall breaking Heather's record as well in the process. Um, finished in 55 days, 16 hours. 54 minutes. He's been very um, forward about kind of mental health struggles that he's had, um, including mental health struggles out on the trail and before starting the trail. So I give his Instagram um, a peep. He's a, he's a really good writer. Um, he definitely had his own struggles out there, but interesting. Um, I thought it was really cool that he's only four days off of um, Tim, Timothy Olson's supported FKT, but there's not to say controversy. I initially put this in as this is drama, but, you know, talking to Hilly kind of offline, this will, while it's going to be validated by the community records on the PCT are kind of no longer going to be, um, validated by the FKT board or the FKT website because of some other issues. And I'm, um, Hilly, I'm wondering if you can just kind of walk us through that briefly. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys heard that the European bells, oh, it feels so like soothing. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, so I've, um, had the pleasure of like kind of recording, um, the fastest known time podcast, like the winners with Buzz Burrell for the past, like three or four years. Um, so Buzz was one of the co-creators of the FKT, kind of the concept and the website of maintaining all the files and, and like validating them, him and Peter Bachwin. And, um, they recently sold it to outside, which is a good thing for them. Um, it's a great thing for the community, I think making it bigger, but, um, something that was, you know, when people are, um, voting on FKT, um, of the year, um, you know, you can, it's basically kind of like um, ultra runner of the year, um, but people like vote on it from the community and there's a board that like makes all the, the ultimate selections. And so kind of the problem that the PCT um, had was that there was really no, like every year there's more and more variations to the route with either fires or just m- mostly fires, honestly, where people had to like stop and then reroute either walk or take a car and restart it on different parts of the trail. Right. Um, and so there was, it was kind of, kind of created this problem of creating a comparison that wasn't really consistent from year in to year out, which is the whole point of FKTs of like basically trying to recreate a race like atmosphere, but on a trail, um, like, you know, the rim to rim to rim, it's a classic FKT, very competitive. And it's the same exact route. Sure. Conditions vary from year to year based on trail erosion, but you're not changing the trail itself or the distance. And so from this point on, I think, um, the PCT will not be created, not be considered as a premier route. So moving forward, voting on, you know, FKT winners of the year, which the PCT has been awarded, um, whether on uh, Timothy Olson's, I'm sure he, he actually made, number four, um, ultra runner, uh, FKT of the year this past year, um, for his incredible, um, FKT on this. So moving forward, that won't be kind of considered one of the premier routes, but it will obviously be respected by the community because it's a huge feat. And, you know, to do these long through trail FKTs is 
like one of the ultimate tests, I think, in like as an ultra endurance athlete. So, yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, obviously everyone out there wants, wants to do the trail in its entirety, wants to do the trail as close to the original as possible. There've always been little changes to trails over time, particularly when you think of it being such a long trail. When I did Tahoe Rim Trail, I like, there was a little bit of bridge construction and I was like, I was emailing Buzz and, and uh, folks to be like, okay, is this little reroute? Okay. Like is going to this section. Okay. Type of thing. Like it's, it's insignificant. Um, but you know, they were talking about, I think Josh's, um, choices were, um, like a hundred mile road walk, um, which is pretty dangerous, um, in some of these zones. Um, and they told him basically like, you could, you can't do what Tim did to be validated. Um, like you can't go around it and then run backwards to the fire closure and then run forwards. Like Tim, Tim's team did a really good job of trying to make sure that the mileage panned out to be what the mileage was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, when you're slivering hours off of a 50 plus day FKT, like every mile matters. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting. Um, and I totally get, you know, what's happening internally versus what, how, what, what Josh had to be feeling out there and being like, you validated it for a guy who's world mm-hmm. famous and has a team around him, but you won't validate it for me. And I totally get the, I would feel the same way too. I think if I was Josh, yeah. there, which is hard, it's, that's gotta be a hard position to be in. And I think there will be, you know, a good debate in the community about this. Totally. And I, I think honestly, it's just kind of about the timing. It's like, I think buzz has had this conversation year after year after year and finally choosing to make that decision. It was just kind of like really bad timing. Mm -hmm. I think um, just because like, I mean, like we mentioned, it's the difference between self-supported and supported FKTs. It can make like on the order of days of a difference. So Mm -hmm. it's like for it to be like this close, you know, for him to be that close until the very end is like quite impressive. So I think it's just... I, I think people who know FKTs and like know how like this route really appreciate, um, you know, they, they think they, they really appreciate what Josh was able to accomplish. Yeah. I think there's good, good respect for what Josh did in the community. And it's like, who do you seek validation from? Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of communities, communities that are like ours, but a little bit different. Um, Keely, you were out at the Leadville mountain bike race, Leadville hundred mountain mm-hmm. bike race happens a week before the Leadville run. The Leadville run is happening ahead of this, or I guess right after this recording, ahead of its release, you were out spectating the, the mountain bike version of a, a running race that's close to our hearts. How was it? What did you see? Yeah. There? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of parallels to our sport, but it was really fun to spectate a mountain bike race instead of a running race. And, um, I kind of decided to crunch the numbers similar to what we've done to running races in the past to see like how many women participants were in this race, because when we were out there, there weren't that many. And so when I looked back through the starters, um, there was about 14% women. So there were only 200 women starting out of around 1300, um, with 1300 males. Um, and so again, participation is relatively low, but we can, we can look to change that. I think Leadville is interesting because the do, it does require a lot of racing to get in unless you have a sponsor slot. So it is relatively difficult to get into, and that might be hindering a lot of women, um, to starting. Um, but one story that I really liked in particular was the female who won, um, 
Hannah Otto, she had wrote a post a little bit before the race saying that she had a shoulder separation injury the week prior and was taking some days off. And so she took some extra rest and she took the pressure off herself and then she smashed the course. So she beat her time from the previous year by over 20 minutes and ended up finishing ahead of Rose Grant, who is the reigning champ and Haley Smith, who is a little bit of an up and comer, who is also just smashing it this year, uh, who got third. Um, and then, yeah, there's another fun story about Sarah Sturm who got fourth. Um, she was a minute back a third. So the women's race was really tight, um, but she got hit by a cow in the final six K. So <laughs> yeah, not her, sure what happened there. Her Instagram, <laughs> her Instagram posts are pretty hilarious. I've known. So for those of you who don't know, my husband is a professional mountain biker. So I know a lot of these athletes personally um, from traveling around and I've known Sarah for over a decade, I think at this point, um, know her coach really well. And yeah, like the, her Instagram posts are hilarious. <laughs> this like this cow incident and Haley, like Haley made some comment, Haley Smith, who was third about like how she was just like death marching it in. And like, of course, the only reason she, she's like, the only reason I could stay ahead of Sarah is because she got hit by a literal cow on her way to the finish. <laughs> So that's um, insane. Guys, that that might be like our future. And you know, there's lots of cows in UTMB. So maybe this is more similar to our I mean, I don't know if you saw my chances of getting out of their way is a little bit higher because we're not moving quite as fast. I know, but like literally they can be aggressive, but like there was like literally it was a single track trail heading into like Col de Grand Foray. There was just a train of cows. They didn't want to use the side and they were just blocking the way. So <laughs> come across a blind curtain. There's a lot more in common, I think, than yeah. we think for these two sports. <laughs> on our on our TMB route too, I think we were coming, we were descending down towards La Foulie, like La Foulie, like from Col de Ferret. Yes. And there was these cows and we're like, excuse us. Like, you know, pardon And they're me. like looking at you. They're like, no. <laughs> we were like skirting around them, like super scared of these giant cows because they're they're huge. But um yeah. also to note Rose Grant, who was the reigning champ going into this, um, is 40 years old and is a mom. Um, she's kind of, and she, if I remember correctly, I feel like she like got some shine kind of as a non-traditional athlete in a way, like came in a little bit later to the sport and really like took off in the endurance mountain bike space. So as opposed to a lot of these athletes who come up as juniors and U23s mm-hmm. and have been in the sport mm-hmm. for a long, long time, Rose kind of came in from a different, different angle. I think almost like with, with young, with young kids in tow, um, which is really like very cool to see her excel at the marathon mountain bike in particular. Um, you also mentioned that figuring out what's happening. The women's race was hard at times. It was so tough. I mean, I really enjoyed watching the males race. Don't get me wrong. Like, the guy who won Keegan, he absolutely smashed it riding basically six hours flat, which is super hard on that course and beating everyone by over 15 minutes. And so it was really cool to see the guys race. Um, but uh, the women's leaders are very difficult to find on athletes. And so I think um, it's interesting that they still don't have a female leaderboard that populates the main page when they have, you know, overall winners for the different divisions of the race, like uh, tandem and overall. <laughs> And so the only way to find the females is to wait for the page to load, change it to female only, and then see the female athletes. And so, you know, some, some work could be in that space to actually, you know, show a female leaderboard underneath the male leaderboard so that it's actually, you can actually follow the females because even the commentators like were horrible at the race, trying to talk about the females. They were all over the place with the timing. They were like, Oh, you know, Hannah might come in under seven 
And and then we're all like, if you looked at the splits, like there's no way she'll be in under seven. And it was just like, come on, let's do some due diligence on the female race here. Like they're doing just as good of a job as the men. It's closer than the men's race. The, the, the top two women were together through mile 70. So yeah, yeah it was very it was, interesting. It was, I think, frustrating, frustrating to watch. We gave, we gave Keegan some crap offline saying, Dude, six at like six oh 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 one. Like you couldn't break six hours. Like come it was on, so, man. it was so cool to watch, but it was so sad. Like he was gassed. Yeah, and then most, uh, not most, but a lot of these pro athletes then bopped over to Steamboat um, to race the Steamboat Gravel Race on Sunday. It's called Lead Boat. You do Leadville on Saturday and Steamboat Gravel Ride race on Sunday. And actually, Keegan came back and won that as well, which is pretty cool and there was kind of some some drama in the men's fields i think over the weekend a bunch yeah. of the women the women's side is more kind of people who came in from off-road from the beginning akin to like we have a more non-traditional entrance into some of these sports because we have careers first and then we get you know then we can we can't support ourselves fully doing the sport potentially the men's side in the lifetime grand prix is a lot of um like retired road pros who have come into off-road and uh there was some i think some off-road like we'll call them the off-road OGs versus the road boys. And there was some, you know, little bits of, uh, of commentary out on course, I think in those lead packs and in the chase packs, like you got to work, man, like, come on, like, this is, this is how it's going to go. So, um, interesting to see that, like, because the, the, I feel like off-road is, is, is doing the same thing that trail is right. In which we're bringing in people from the marathon or bringing people in from cross country and track and field backgrounds. Um, there's going to be some like cultural, differences between those communities. And I think off-road mountain biking and gravel racing is having that experience right now. We're also having that experience kind of simultaneously. So it's going to be interesting to see how all these communities continue to like converge and merge um, and coalesce in a positive way. Um, Speaking of the cycling community, um, (laughs) news. Um, This is really cool. We talked about Tour uh, Tour de France Femmes, um, Avec Zwift, that happened just a couple of weeks ago. Um, they finally released the numbers um, from the broadcast and they hit really good TV marks across the board outside of France. Um, 75 million hours of live Tour de France Femmes broadcast was beamed into seven European countries, reaching 14 million viewers, plus a massive 45% of the Netherlands TV audience tuned in um, to watch their favorites in the race. So really, really cool to see um, the women's tour just generate the media coverage it deserves and to, and, and to see the audience respond to it. It's like, if you build it, they will come. If you broadcast it, we will watch. So I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. And that's been one of the main, I think, criti- well, one, one criticism of people always cite is like, well, if like you want to, like you want women's sports to be funded, then, you know, there needs to be more viewership. Well, this is proof. So totally. <laughs> yeah. And I think normally they're like, oh, you know, women's sports get about 10% of the viewership hours as men's sports, but here, you know, the men's tour de France gets around 40 million viewers and the women's got around 15 million viewers. So that's, you know, that's at least 25%. So we're getting up there. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It's going to continue, continue to grow. And, and I imagine those don't really account for like the, like, I'd be curious to know, nor obviously, a lot of these sports, there's an analogy on Dylan's Dylan's podcast recently of the kind of like we're a, an inch deep and a hundred miles wide, i.e. like in any one region of the world, we, there might not be that much popularity, but if you combine our to- our numbers across, across globally, there becomes this massive support for it. And I think that's kind of what we have to pay attention to, right? Like the Peacock viewership 
in in the US might be different. But if you like add all those things together, there's a substantial viewership. And I think we need to we need to pitch that to the marketing execs. Marketing execs, I know you're listening to us. Uh, let's talk. Um, speaking of watching women's sports, um, remember the sports bra, the women's sports bar getting off the ground in Portland? Well, there's one opening in my neck of the woods. Um, there is a new women's sports bar that's going to be opening here in Seattle, specifically in Ballard called Rough and Tumble, um, which I'm really excited about. They don't have an exact opening date for it yet, but the they in interviewing the owner, uh, Jen Barnes, said that, you know, they started brewing in her mind after being unable to find a pub that would play the, the Ole Rain semifinal, which is the Seattle women's pro soccer team. Um, and so she's like, well, we'll create it. I couldn't find a place to watch this. So we'll create it. So just like the sports bra in Portland, rough and tumble is going to be a sports bar for women's sports, um, streaming women's sports. So I'm really excited to see that get off the ground and, uh, get to go when it opens in Ballard. We need to open one in the, in the West. <laughs> Mountain West. Um, Next project. <laughs> yeah. I bet I Denver's got a market for that for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll make that happen. Denver hit us up. Uh, okay. I've got one more thing before we talk, before we, uh, Keely does some, uh, some deep dive in here for a second, but several sports icons are retiring. Um, and they've gotten really beautiful media coverage in and around their retirements. The Vogue piece on Serena Williams is beautiful. That cover is really, really cool. If you haven't seen it, go, go check it out. Um, but Serena Williams and Sue Bird kind of both announced their retirements that led to, that has led to skyrocketing sales for like the US Open, for example, which mm-hmm. Serena is going to retire after. And then Sue Bird's final game, also here in Seattle, um, had over 18,000 people in attendance, which was a record. So, you know, women's sports are important and people are honoring their, their sports icons um, really beautifully um, in the written word, but also by showing up to watch them, to watch them play. So kind of really beautiful swan songs on both, on both sides. And the one thing I have to say about Serena Williams is because I'm a tennis player and she was literally like, actually no offense to Serena, but I was a really huge fan of Venus. She was like literally my favorite player growing up. Um, And I just actually watched the film like King Richard. And I just got so excited to like go out and like play tennis again. But it's just, it's, it's someone like that. It really does make a difference. Like I think Serena and Venus started a whole entire like movement for women in, in sport, women in a sport where they really didn't belong, like they hadn't technically like belonged and not alone, like women of color. And so I think it's just, it's incredible the impact that she's had and, you know, for her, for Venus to be the first and then Serena to be like, be one of the best, if not, in my opinion, the best. I think, I think outside of gender. Serena Williams is the best, the best of player all of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, here. yeah, I mean, yeah. And if you've like seen her serve, just look at the stats, man. That's like literally impo- like close, close enough to perfection in tennis. Anyways, um, it's amazing. I actually want to, I think I'm going to go look up tickets to US Open online after this. <laughs> hey, it's my birthday for you, TMB. I'm going to splurge. That's what I want for my birthday present <laughs> yeah. to watch Serena Williams. <laughs> Heck. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. In less, in less fun news, I guess. I think this is kind of medium fun. This is medium it's, fun. It's fun. There's, there's things. I think it's good. Here. I think it's very positive news. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. 
Keely, well, I mean, tell, us, tell us your positive news. Yeah, I mean, back in October, we talked about the U of O track and cross country field with a lot of allegations from six previous female members of the team talking about body shaming and unnecessary DEXA scans administered by their coach to monitor body fat composition, right? And and how negatively that impacted those girls' mental health. Um, and so U of O decided not to re-sign the contract with Robert Johnson, who was the head of the whole cross country track and field team. Um, for reasons undisclosed and they renamed um <laughs> jerry schumacher as the new cross-country coach and track and field head coach for the u of o program and for those of you who don't know who that is he was a prior men's distance coach at university of wisconsin for about 15 years and then that was before now you probably know him as the head of the bowerman track club which is a professional running team based out of portland oregon funded by nike um who has a lot of you know olympians previous olympians um, on the team, very successful program. Um, one of the most successful runners from the team from a female lens is Shalane Flanagan. She ran for them up until 2019, where she started coaching for them. And she will come on as the assistant coach for U of O, which is also really exciting. And I think it's awesome to put a female in that position. And one of her quotes around this new opportunity for her was, I've held on to the goal of changing the narrative surrounding relationships with young women and men in running and food, showing that indulging in nourishment can help you become a better, healthier, and happier athlete. Now I get the chance to put that inspiration into action. And so I think her coming on board for a team that has been, you know, in a space for the past year in a very negative headspace around food and body image and body fat percentage, I think this could be really good for them. Shalane's always been a big advocate for nutrition with her cookbooks and just emphasizing food. So I think that's a really good stance for them. Um, but I think in general, this is just a very interesting topic, right? Because I think, you know, for me, the first thing that I thought of was, you know, this one man is now going to be coaching a professional team of over 11 athletes, as well as a track and field program. That's one of the biggest in the, in the country and one of the most prestigious in the country. Um, and that gives him, you know, 113 athletes under his control. And so it just feels like a lot, but I think, you know, from a lot of the press releases coming out, it seems like he will be advocating for coaches and getting a lot of coaches to, to take on some of the teams that are like underneath him at U of O. Um, and so, you know, I can only hope that this is going to be a really good turn in the right direction for U of O, um, at least from the past that they had. And hopefully, you know, the team that they they build to kind of coach them going forward is going to be is going to be great. But again, I think that there are just some questions around it in terms of capacity and all that kind of stuff, too, that that kind of linger in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a capacity thing. I think when you say Bowerman, a lot of us think of Shelby Houlihan. And, um, doping allegations. Well, I mean, she's serving a ban, like the, the court upheld it, the doping, like the, the kind of sports court upheld, upheld the ban. And she, you know, there's questions like, will she be training? Is she moving to Eugene? Is she going to be training under Jerry still? Like, what does that look like? You know, what is, what does that mean from a moral and ethics standpoint, if that's kind of still going to happen? Um, I think it sounds like Jerry, delegates really well. And I'm excited to see kind of the team he builds out under him because I think a really good leader knows that that is really important. I think when you've got 113 athletes that you're responsible for, that is even more important. Um, you know, there, there, you could point out like, oh, you've got athletes that are injured. Oh, you've got athletes that have red S, um, like that you're responsible for and, and say that that's a negative, but being a coach and having coached for a decade now, um, I've had athletes get stress fractures. I've had athletes get injured. I've had athletes have overuse injuries. Like it's, it doesn't mean that there was a fault of the coaching. It's kind of a fault of the whole team. 
you know, i.e. me and the athlete and communication and all those pieces, like athletes get hurt all the, all three of us, right. How many, how many times have we been hurt? I don't blame my coach for any of it. Um, so I think that that's kind of an interesting piece of the puzzle as to like what that success will look like for, for this team. But I do think it's a a step in the right direction, which we've said several times. And sometimes we have to take (laughs) it back. Um, I think that, I think that that is a good move for U of O given what has happened with their current program, given, I know one of those athletes, not one of the athletes that was quoted in the article, but another athlete who isn't back to running, who Mm -hmm. hasn't, who isn't, you know, like left the program is, you know, went home, didn't return to running, um, didn't return to collegiate running as far as I know yet. And that's so sad because it's, you know, a talented, you know, should be happy individual who had her freshman year just kind of destroyed. And that was apparently also a thing that only happened to the female athletes on the team. They weren't Mm -hmm. doing these DEXA scans on the male athletes. So, um, hopefully that with Shalane on board as well, that will bring a positive atmosphere to, to U of O. But if you, if you know anything, if you've heard anything, uh, slide into our DMs interested to kind of take this debate, um, onto, onto Instagram with you all in the community. <laughs> yeah. And the, the one thing I will say is you're right, Corinne. It's like, you don't blame your coach for, for, for being injured, right? Like I certainly didn't, but I do think that having someone in your corner, like the right person that you can trust is what can bring you out of injury and back to loving sport again. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, I mean, I think one of the very first, you know, trail society episodes that we ever had was discussing this and how to keep women in sport. And I think it starts with coaching. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. My bangs are doing crazy things for those of you who are watching. (laughs) This is what happens when you record at 7am. Um, or it's what happens when you talk about women coaching in sport, <laughs> just it gets excited. <laughs> just pull all my hair out. Um, okay. One other thing came out that was really, really cool. Um, Keely just threw this in right ahead of recording. So I think it came out like yesterday. Yesterday. Yep. <laughs> um, but it fits in really well with the series that we've been doing and with the interview that we have upcoming for you, Keely, can you highlight what you, what you threw in there and then yeah. we'll put a link to it in the show notes if we can. Yeah. And so I think this is just really timely because we have Steph Howe on today and she talks about her journey with pregnancy and contracts and all sorts of stuff. And, and, a, and a study came out that basically interviewed a bunch of athletes about their concerns around pregnancy. Um, and this is like one of the first studies of its kind, which is exciting. And it came out of Germany and it talks about the challenges of planning a pregnancy among female elite athletes um, by using Zoom interviews. Um, and it basically just comes out and says there's a, there's a couple buckets that we really need to focus on as a society to advance women's sports and to basically give athletes the confidence they need to go and have children if that's what they want to do. Um, So they break it into an environmental factor, a financial factor, personal and physical. And they really just discuss that they, they need to, that we as a society really need to focus on maternity leave, continuation of contracts during this time of the month or this time of their life, um, mentoring programs for younger athletes so that they understand what, what goes on if they do decide to become pregnant. Um, And then they also emphasize the need for scientific studies that investigate the association of sport discipline and then how, you know, performance is changed based off of pregnancy before and after pregnancy. And so I don't think anything out of this study is super revolutionary, but I do think it's a step in the right direction. Again, here, I'm saying that again, but I think it's a really good step to really just put this front and center in people's minds and remind them that we need to start studying this space. We need to be advocates in this space for female athletes who want to become pregnant. Um, And we really need to start learning about the implications this might have on their sporting future so that people have more confidence to actually go and pursue pregnancy without the repercussions of contracts or, you know, their bodies revolting on them. 
Yeah. So, so important. It ties in so nicely to what we're about to present to you. But before we present that next thing to you, <laughs> um, we have to talk about one of the sponsors that we couldn't do this without. And that's the feed. I think you're seeing more of the feed in your in your literal feed on Instagram as they've started to kind of support more runners in the space. They've been very cycling and triathlon focused, but I'm seeing it pop up. I'm seeing a uh, fueled by the feed on a lot of uh, runners, runners, uh, Instagrams recently. Got some fun, fun new snacks, fun new snacks, including some more waffles. Um, Keely, have you spied some new snacks for, for you now that you're getting, getting more off the bike and more under your feet a little bit? Yeah. So this month's theme was like bars because obviously um, bars on a bike are a lot easier than running. And also just like with traveling for the past two weeks, it's, it's nice to have snacks that are handily available. Um, so that was kind of my theme. They have a lot of different box options where they actually just send you a smorgasbord of, of snack bars and they pick for you like the most popular ones. And so you don't even have to choose which ones you want to try and you just get a box of new ones. And so that's what I did. And then I also just picked some of the ones that I like doing. Um, and then, yeah, some of their coffee blends that I talked about last time are my faves. So we got more of those. Hilly, what nice. do you, what do you have coming in your feed box? Uh, yeah, from well, UTMB. yeah, exactly. I mean, I like immediately was like, okay, like this is, is basically brought to, like fueled by the feed. This like jaunt around the, the Mont Blanc is going to be fueled by the feed. So I have basically my favorite gels. So combination of never second and spring energy. And then, um, my favorite bar is actually, cause I mean, when you're going that slow <laughs> or I mean that long, uh, you know, bars for me are actually really good and I need to have, this is actually something I did during, um, during my, you know, UTMB kind of recon. Um, I need real food. This is actually something that's really important. And so, um, JoJ bars, that's like my new favorite thing. I, I usually have them on the bike, but they're great running and they're like, they feel very satiating. And so, um, that as well as some like cool salt stick for some salt, some scratch labs for my drink mix. This whole thing is going to be fueled by the feed and my recovery it. drink at the end. Ha. <laughs> ha! The whole thing. And that's kind of the nice thing about it, right? Is that you can really mix and match to get your perfect combination of snack products, of in-race fuel needs, post, post-workout, post-race recovery products. You got a little bit of everything there. So if you want to check it out, go to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. We've got a code for you that is trail society 15 for 15% off your order. Again, www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And the shipping is really fast. I got my snacks like extra super pronto. So cannot complain about that. But the next thing we have for you, super, 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 super duper exciting. Um, Keely and I got to sit down while Hillary was very much asleep on her jaunt, on her, on her tour to Mont Blanc, um, recon, recon days was sit down with Stephanie Howe. I don't even know how to describe Stephanie Howe. Keely, do you have her hit list of qualifications? I think that she's just a phenomenal human and athlete. Stephanie Howe is no uh, stranger to the trail and ultra running world. She has won Western States around, along with a lot of other racing accolades, but she also has her PhD in nutrition, looking into a lot of the metabolism hormones, and she also has a newborn. And so she is just a wealth of knowledge around 
how to take nutrition insights and deliver them during your pregnancy journey. And she talks us through the trimesters of pregnancy and how your nutrition needs can change and how basically her pregnancy journey panned out and how it didn't necessarily go according to the books and how she really just adapted to the punches. And so let's transition to that interview now and hear a bit about Steph and about the journeys of pregnancy and nutrition. I am Stephanie Howe, and I am a trail runner and a PhD in nutrition and exercise science, and I'm also a mom. So this is really pertinent to areas of my life that are really big and important to me. Um, I've been a trail runner for the past decade, uh, probably like 12 years now since I did my first ultra. So very much have been in the sport for a long time. And um, I've studied nutrition. My dissertation was really focused on application in sports nutrition. So actually on active women looking at appetite hormones and different intensities of exercise. So very, again, applied to this niche sport. And then I have a 19 month old uh, and he is just the best thing ever. And so cute. I think we can vouch for that. I'm biased maybe, but yeah, he's, you know, he's a good, a good little guy. He's, he's nice and he's calm and I'm so thankful for being a little boy for sure. That I think is like a win. I've got friends with little boys and they are a handful for, for sure. We wanted to have you on because I think, you know, once again, putting the bias hat hat on here, you know, you're one of our favorite people and athletes. You've got this wealth of knowledge. around female nutrition and like specifically, particularly looking at this like athletic group of women in the ultra space. And as you mentioned, you're a mom of a little guy. And so this is kind of the world's melding together as we finish out this women's health pregnancy centered series. And so you're, you're our final episode of that, which is really kind of, I think a very exciting place to have you in our lineup. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. So to start, I think we'd love to just kind of orient the audience here. Um, we have a lot of moms that listen, a lot of parents in general that listen. Some listen with their kids, which is actually very cool. Um, and we want to talk about those changes that occur during pregnancy. We know that the body changes a lot, um, but we don't, you know, none of us here on the show have been pregnant, um, Keely, Hillary, or myself. And so talking about, you know, what exactly is going on through through the phases of pregnancy? Um, and just wondering if you can help us paint a picture around that. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, there's not a lot out there on nutrition for pregnancy besides just the basics. Like you could read a textbook and you get recommendations from the doctor, but they're very much like take your prenatals and make sure to eat a good diet. But there's really nothing else. I struggled when I was first pregnant to like find any resources that might be helpful. So I think this is really great that you guys are putting this out there. Um, So when you first, I mean, I guess when you find out you're pregnant, um, basically, you know, it's, uh, we, we always think nine months, but it's actually 10 months because it's 40 weeks. And it's from considering day zero is the, the first, the first day of your last menstrual cycle. So you're actually the first two weeks don't really count because you're not actually pregnant. So it's like really weird. Um, I didn't know any of this really until I went through it myself. So a lot of times women don't know they're pregnant until they're like six weeks, maybe even eight weeks. And um, 
during that time, and the first trimester is the first 14 weeks. So that's very early on. And during that time, nutrition needs change, but not as much as we maybe think. So a lot of times a, a, a woman might panic. Like, I didn't know I was pregnant. I'm not taking prenatals. I wasn't eating well. It's like, that's actually okay because it's really hard to know. And you don't need a lot of the, the changes in nutrition until you're a little bit later on. So first trimester, about 14 weeks. And then the second trimester, 14 to 27 weeks, just depends on, on how you look at it. And then the third trimester is 27, 28 weeks to 40 weeks. And honestly, that's how everything breaks it up is in these three trimesters, but there's actually a fourth trimester and that's super important. And there's even less information on that, but postpartum is really hard. And there's a lot of changes the body goes through. And I think there's nothing out there to really support women during that time. And to know that, okay, there's actually more changes um, nutrition wise as well that happen in the fourth trimester. So that's kind of like how it's broken up. And I'm sure you've talked about that a bit on this podcast series so far. But um, right away in the first trimester, the most important thing is to make sure that you do get on a prenatal when you find out you're pregnant and mostly because you need folic acid. And that's really important for preventing neural tube defects. And we know that if you have folate in your diet or folic acid, that um, will basically prevent that from becoming an issue. So I, again, I don't want anyone to panic if they didn't know and they weren't taking a prenatal. I was not taking one. Um, everything turned out fine, but that's the one important change with nutrition during that first trimester. Now, the other thing that's really, I think, mis misknown or misunderstood is that during that first trimester, you feel, you can feel like crap. <laughs> you can feel like total crap. And so thinking about trying to eat really well, like some dark leafy greens, some nice salmon, some avocado, that's probably not going to happen. And so the, the most important thing is like, you just need some food. Okay. So don't overly be critical of yourself of not eating any vegetables. I ate all white food for the first 14 weeks. I was super nauseous. I had these kettle chips and it said on the bag, like sharing size. And I'm like, oh, I'm not sharing these. And I had chips and white bread and rice and butter. And that's kind of it. One day I tried to slice up some strawberries because I have a really big sweet tooth. I have dessert like every night of ice cream or chocolate. And it like almost threw me over the edge. So even if you really like to eat well, don't worry about it during that first trimester because you just need to get the energy down. The um, nutrients that the baby needs are going to be taken from you. So, you know, you're not, the baby's going to develop and it's going to take what it needs. You might be a little behind, but you'll catch back up. So I think that's one, one thing that women can like, just take the pressure off. If all you want is donuts, don't worry about it. Just get some food in that you can tolerate. I think a lot of women feel awful. <laughs> some feel more awful than others. Um, but I think and it's not so much a craving. It's just that's like everything else sounds like you can't get it down. So I think whatever sounds the least worst. And I think simple foods, it's kind of like when you're nauseous, like think about during a race or when you have the stomach flu, it's like, okay, what do you feel like you can eat? And so a lot of those for me, it was like white, simple foods. For most people, it is something like that. And I think the more savory or just bland options tend to sit a little bit better. Yeah. 
That's interesting. I think our minds are like, okay, so what deficits should people worry about? You know, we're, we've got our like science hats on, our critical thinking totally. hats on, but it sounds like it's a race and it's like calories are calories. And so for your own personal experience, and then obviously guiding athletes as a coach and, and working, working in the nutrition space as well, you know, is that kind of what you lean into being like, well, calories are calories right now versus the like needing to, you know, make sure they're getting in enough of X, Y, or Z. Yep. Exactly. For the first trimester. Yeah. So that's the most important thing. And like with pregnancy, you need about 300 calories per day extra. And that's just a generalization. So that's like not for everyone, but it's about that much. However, you don't really need that much the first trimester. You you need slightly more. So just go off your hunger cues if you have any. Um, If you're like not able to get it down again, don't worry during those first 14 weeks. But Also keep in mind, I think we also have this misconception that you need to eat so much more, right? You need like more, like you need an extra meal or you need to just like, like make yourself so overly full so you get enough. And 300 calories is a decent amount, but it doesn't need to be all in one sitting. It doesn't need to be an extra meal. It might just be a little bit extra at breakfast and lunch, and then, you know, maybe a snack before bed, it doesn't, you can spread it out. So it doesn't feel like you're just suddenly eating a lot more. And I think that advice isn't well known. I think when you Google, (laughs) it says like, make sure you eat enough. And that's really important. It is important. But athletes are pretty in tune with that for the most part. Um, There's a lot of, you know, (laughs) there's, there can be some um, issues with that. But most people know how to eat. Like they're in tune with their bodies. They know they need three meals a day. They know they need carbohydrates and they need protein. So it's not that different, especially early on. It does become a little bit different later on. Moving into the second trimester is really a welcome experience for most people because you start to feel better. So you don't have that just frequent nausea. And this isn't for everyone, but just in general, Um, You start to feel like yourself again. And the baby isn't so big that it's like, um, you know, sitting on your stomach or your pelvis or uh, your lungs. So you can actually feel more or less like yourself again. And appetite usually returns. So it's kind of like the sweet spot. (laughs) And it's a great time to get a lot of things done if you haven't thought about them already. Uh, But nutritionally speaking, this is a time where I think it is good to start getting back to some of those nutrient dense foods keeping in mind that calories are the most important. So if you can't, that's okay. Just get get in what you can. But if you are able to focus on good protein and colorful fruits and veggies, I think those start to sound more appealing again. And in nutrition, everything that's colorful has lots of micronutrients in there. So that's that's really good to, to eat. And keep in mind too, the baby's gonna get the nutrients it needs. It will take it from you. <laughs> They're like little leeches. They're gonna take it all. So you're actually just giving yourself those nutrients. So think of it as like, you know, if you want to maintain, if you want to be active, you still need those nutrients, right? You still, it's not like your body just shuts down and is like, nope, I'm, you know, growing a human. I don't need anything else. So it's like you're giving yourself the things that you need. And um, this is a little aside from nutrition, but I, I found there wasn't anything about activity really for pregnant women. And I think you have to just really, each experience is different, but they go, the doctors recommend activity and intensity off of just being cautionary of 
like don't go too hard, don't go too long. And I actually didn't find that to be the case for me. I did find that it was different. I had to have snacks. There wasn't anything I could do over 45 minutes where I didn't need like a gel. And that makes sense like uh, scientifically because what's happening is those nutrients, that glucose, it's going to the baby. It's not going to you. So you get really low blood sugar really, really easy. So I was doing a lot of uh, training on my my trainer, uh, my bike trainer. And I would literally put like sleeves of blocks there for like an hour ride, <laughs> which is not something I would normally do, but I couldn't get through them without it. So I think, you know, you have to just reframe your eating and your activity. You can still do a lot of those things, but you just have to think about it a little bit more because it's less forgiving of like a bonk can be really bad. And like it can happen um, in less than an hour. So just being aware and making sure that you are well-fueled is important. So the thing I always like to, to paint the picture of is like to get them to take a step back and be like, this is a, a short period of time in your life. And it may not feel short at the time, but it is. You're growing a human. And that's that should be your primary goal. Not to stay fit as an athlete, not to build fitness. You can definitely keep your foot in the door and like be active. I think it's great. You can push hard when it feels good. You can do, you know, like longish stuff. Um, but you have to have that be secondary to growing this baby. And um, that is a hard a hard thing for some people to to think about. But if you zoom out and you're like, this is, you know, a year of my life where I'm not going to put my running first, it's a little bit easier to to think about it that way and to get through that. Um, because it, you know, I I'm encouraging being active and like, you know, doing some harder stuff. But longer stuff can be a little bit tricky. Um, and especially because you don't want to get behind on energy. So we know that it's really hard to catch up. Um, so say you do like a 20 mile run, which I don't know if anyone could do that pregnant. That's great if you can. I couldn't. Um, but we know that it's hard to meet your energy, uh, to catch up from your energy expenditure with your energy intake that day. So usually we follow up a day like that with a recovery day or a rest day where your energy intake is going to be higher than your energy expenditure. So it's like kind of these fluctuations and by, um, you know, eating a little more on the, the recovery days and getting a little bit behind on the hard days, you kind of come out to a nice even amount. When you're pregnant, that those that's not really great because um, the, the baby doesn't know like tomorrow you're you're going to eat more because or you're going to your balance is going to be restored. And again, it's going to take everything it needs. So it's, it's you that is going to feel those effects. So it doesn't usually feel as good. Um, you can feel like crap and be like, why, why does this 10 mile run feel like I just ran a hundred miles? And it's like, okay, because everything is that you're used to going to your muscles, to your brain for uh, activity and for recovery is not really going to you. So I think that's important to, to recognize. And then just being gentler on yourself with like, okay, so I'm going to re reframe my thoughts of what is a long run. And a 10K run might be a long run while you're pregnant. And again, that's tough, but just think of it through the lens of like, this is a short period of time in your life. And after this, like you can get back to it and you can get back to doing longer stuff. But um, I really encourage people to um, just think about, I don't want to say doing less, but just think about making it less of a priority in terms of building that fitness. 
And it's been cool to have like the personal experience too, and then work with other women. Cause it's like, you know, you can learn so much by reading research or reading textbooks, but it's so much different in application, which you guys know with, with anything scientific. And so I think it's really cool um, that you're putting this all out there for, for other women. So third trimester is when energy needs start to really kick up. I think most women feel a, a more sense of hunger, like more often, it's just more uh, apparent. It also becomes a little bit tough to eat again. And it's because the baby's getting big. And so you get full really fast. And that can be a little bit frustrating because you feel like you're always eating and then you get full. So I recommend smaller meals, um, especially during that third trimester as you get further along. Smaller meals, smaller snacks, and then you get a lot of acid reflux. That's a, that's a really fun thing that happens. And sometimes the nausea returns. So this may be like not as fun as the second trimester, but you're on the home stretch. So you know you're like, almost there. Um, again, trying to eat well, and by, by well, I mean like good mix of carbohydrate, uh, protein, and then some fat. So making sure that even if your meals don't look exactly, you know, like how you normally would like this nice noodle bowl with like, uh, some protein on top and avocado, just thinking of the theme, trying to get, keep that theme of like some of each nutrient. And if you can't finish a meal, just like stop, don't overfill your stomach because it never ends well. <laughs> just wait like an hour or so and you'll probably be hungry again. Um, and then, you know, just try to eat when, when you can. And I do think uh, like cravings are kind of weird. Um, I think we can convince ourselves that we're having physiological cravings <laughs> and maybe we are sometimes, but I, I don't know if that's always uh, where they're coming from, they might be more um, like psychological cravings. But in that third trimester, I do think it's okay to indulge some of those within reason. Like, you don't want to overeat. Um, you don't want to undereat. That's more important. But you also you also know you need about you know like say a three hundred to four hundred extra calories. So if it's like you just can't get full and you can't eat a huge meal like having something that is outside of what we would say, like, this is a great food or a great snack. That's okay. The day I went to labor, I had, I, I had breakfast and then I was hungry. And so I got donuts. I got four of them and I ate them all <laughs> like at like 10 AM. Like, I'm just like, I need this right now. I need these donuts. What I really, really like here is that while everyone we've spoken with has their own unique experience with, with pregnancy and their, and their pregnancy journey, there are a lot of similar threads that start to stand out. Like you don't really have control and fueling is still really, really important. You know, it made me think about talking to Ladia and Liz. It made me think about talking with Claire. And I'm kind of wondering if there's anything that really like, you know, grabbed your attention when you were listening to Steph kind of walk us through that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that she said about how you need to reframe your mind around having your primary goal be to grow a human and not to be your fittest self or be the best athlete you can be. And that, that goal for that next foreseeable future should be to like grow that human and do everything in your possible control to help that process. And I think like obviously emphasizing calories is really important and also is on par with all the other conversations we've had where she emphasizes calories is more important than type of calorie, right? Like don't beat yourself up for eating something that's not on your really healthy level 
list, but prioritize getting calories because your baby's going to eat a lot of your calories and it needs the calories to grow. And you're still going to need calories to continue to be able to be active and just to make sure that baby's growing. Yeah. I love that. She talked about, you know, like, oh, the baby's going to take what it needs from you. So you also have to fuel you like, that's really important because the baby's going to take, take, take. I also really enjoyed kind of this, this idea of cravings and listening to your body. Steph comes from this super scientific background, right? She has her PhD in nutrition. Like she is insanely smart, but you know, she talks about how there's this intuitive nature to what you need during this time frame. And while, you know, we're, we're not sitting here pregnant, we have that same kind of ability, right? To be like intuitively, what does my body need right now? And I kind of like that while you have different things going on during pregnancy, that that still remains kind of a, a, a key piece of, of fueling during this time period. And I think that we all, you know, from the outside looking in, want to overcomplicate what fueling should be during pregnancy. Yeah, totally. And she kind of emphasizes that by saying that a lot of people hear from their primary care physician or on the on the television that they need to eat a ton of calories like on top of what they normally eat while they're having their child. But she kind of recenters us all and reminds us like that's not necessarily the case. We do have to eat extra for the child, but we're also going to be able to feel that extra hunger and kind of listen to our body and not just, you know, increase calories for the sake of the sake of increasing calories. Um, but one thing that I did find really interesting was that when she started talking about the fourth trimester, this infamous fourth trimester that, you know, a lot of people call, um, post-pregnancy postpartum, like she calls this a whole new trimester. And I think it's really important because she hears, she emphasizes a need for even more calories, especially for those mothers who are breastfeeding. And so let's cut back to her, her, like talk about the fourth trimester and how that kind of impacts all the needs of, of mothers as well. I think the fourth trimester is the hardest and I think it's where women are least supported. And so I was fortunate enough to have a a woman I knew recommend this book called the fourth trimester by Kimberly Ann Clark, I believe. Um, And it was just all about being gentle on yourself because it's a traumatic event that your body goes through. Labor is traumatic. And most women have like, you know, everyone has a story and it's never like, Oh, super easy like, no, no stuff happens. Stuff happens that you had no idea could happen. And like, it can be really long. It can be like physically uh, traumatic. And then suddenly you have this little baby. And we always think of like pregnancies when you need more energy, but actually breastfeeding requires it's higher caloric needs. And so that 300 to 400 calories per day shifts to 500. But I don't think that's really well known because I think Pregnancy is when it's like, oh yeah, you need to keep eating, make sure you have snacks, but it's breastfeeding where it's actually a little bit higher. And I think a lot of women, they want to like lose the weight that they gained during pregnancy really fast. And so they under eat. And I think a lot of issues can happen with feeling like crap for one, you're already sleep deprived. And then if you're under fueling your body, uh, that's like a double whammy. And then also you know, thinking about breast milk, you want to have the energy required so that you can choose if you want to breastfeed that you you're able to do it. And that's a really complex thing. Some people love it or are able to do it. Some bodies just don't, don't breastfeed. But, um, if you are, you know, that the energy required is so high. This blew me away. 
I I didn't expect that. I I breastfed until my son was 15 months, so a little bit longer. But um, I was just hungry all the time. And to be honest, I felt like crap running most of the time once I started running again, and even until like 15 months. And then when I stopped, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize. And I know better. I know better. It's like, I didn't realize like how much that was still impacting me. And I think that the first three to four months, really just like take it easy on yourself. Give yourself so much grace. You're just learning how to take care of a little tiny human who can't tell you anything. And you're sleep deprived. Your body just went through all of this stuff. And it's like, I think we feel the need to just like get back out there. Like, okay, I'm not pregnant anymore. I need to like rebuild myself. And that that can happen and it should happen, but it doesn't need to happen right away. And if you think about that time, like, you know, in a lot of other cultures, when you first have a baby, you're just in bed with them for like forever, <laughs> you know, like you're not expected to like start running and training and get back out there and do all your things. And I, I love that we can like highlight women who are doing amazing things postpartum. But I also think we need to be careful with that because the the woman who's not able to do anything, who's just getting through the day of like feeding her baby and like taking care of her body, which might be totally broken, that's just as important and that should be celebrated. You know, you're not inadequate because you can't like run a few miles like three weeks after giving birth. I could not do that. Um, I couldn't run for a couple months for sure. And that's okay. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful story too. I'm getting a little off topic of nutrition, but I think it's, it's all related. And, you know, with like nutrition support um, in the fourth trimester, I think there are some like supplements that help support lactation. And I think those are worth using. Um, There's, there's decent science on them. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where there's not great science because we don't do controlled randomized controlled studies on pregnant women um, for a number of reasons. But I think, you know, if you want to help support your milk supply, um, there are supplements and they, they come in the form of like little delicious cookies, which is great because you need snacks anyways. Um, that's important. And then again, trying to get in some of those real foods again, because you want to build back up the deficiencies that you probably have from being pregnant because the baby took everything from you. The the drive for thirst is so high because you are dehydrated. You're, you're basically dehydrating yourself. If you're breastfeeding, I don't know, 10, 12 times a day, where is that liquid coming from? You know, like it's it's coming from you. And so um, there was a, a time where I, I went for a run uh, with this group of women who were going to do like a six mile run, really casual. It was in the spring. So super, you know, not hot. I brought a pack with like a two liter bladder because I couldn't get through the, the run without hydrating. It would be like panicky. And that's uh, really important. Like if you aren't used to that, to remember if you are starting to train again, your hydration needs are also so much higher. So always have water with you. Um, deficiencies. So one that we actually don't see that's really great is iron deficiency during pregnancy because you're not losing blood through the menstrual cycle. So that's one um, postpartum that I like to talk to women about like, okay, so let's, let's think about iron again and making sure that 
um, you know, you are eating iron rich foods because it's probably going to be something that is going to easily, if you've had a history with it, easily go down again, especially ferritin, because that's more responsive to stress and just lifestyle. And like, there's plenty of that, um, postpartum. So that's one that, uh, is pretty common. And then I think just, it's more of a macronutrient deficiency. So just calories in general. And I think focusing on protein and fat is good because they're dense, especially fat, um, and saturated fat is actually great. Like dairy, if you can tolerate dairy and, and most people can, um, there's, there's few people who are lactose intolerant who can, but this is so good for supporting what you need postpartum and it, it's a more dense form of energy. So a little bit easier to get down. So I, I do recommend like full fat Greek yogurt, um, ice cream. Like I, I love to recommend ice cream because it's delicious and it's actually like a pretty good food. If you're going to have something indulgent, um, cheese smoothies are great. Uh, especially if you don't have time to eat. Um, and then unsaturated fats too, like avocado and olive oil. Those are really just going to help boost what you need postpartum. Every experience is different. And we have this idea of what we are able to do. Like for me, it was like, okay, what's an easy run? And it was like six to eight miles. That was an easy run. But that was not an easy run. Like three miles was a hard run. So the first thing I like to tell people is to like, try to stay off of social media in terms of comparison on those types of platforms. So although I think there's there's really great uses for them, that's not the time. And that'll just make you feel kind of bad about where you're at. So think about movement and about time outside rather than like miles or training, um, because that's just a more positive way to, to get back into it. Um, one thing that I did, and this is a little bit later on and I'm still doing it actually, I do, um, a workout like with this group of people. I don't look at my watch the whole time. Like I, I do wear it so I can look at it later, but I just don't want that feedback of like, what pace am I running or how far have I've gone? And because I don't do that, I'm just much happier to like go out and move and be social than to like worry about like, oh, I could run this like a minute faster, like before. So I think letting go of a lot of those just things that don't matter, like pace or distance or time, and just thinking about movement, that'll create more joy and help you just be able to do what you can rather than what you think you should be doing. One thing I really enjoyed about this conversation with Steph is that while she's dropping so much knowledge on us, she's, you know, tying it into her own personal experience. We're not getting all the details all at once, but I really like that, that we're, that, you know, we're getting like the, oh, these things we've never talked about, like, or thought about, I mean, me personally, anyway, like how much energy it takes to feed a baby. And I think that, you know, I love, I love that we're getting a little taste of the science here, but also this, this realization that like, no one talks about this postpartum return as much as I think we, we think we acknowledge it, but we don't really at all. 
Totally. And I think that a lot of people that do talk about it are those that are able to start running, you know, a couple of weeks after having their child. And that might not be the majority, but that's what's socialized and that's what's publicized. And so I like that she really emphasizes that we need to be careful highlighting these women because, you know, if you're, if you're one of the types of women that, you know, can't run three weeks after having a baby or five weeks after having a baby, like you don't need to feel inadequate because that's totally fine as well. And you need to be able to respect your body and actually, you know, return to run on your own time. Timeline, and that might not look like somebody else's. Yeah. I love that she highlighted, you know, the focus on movement over exercise during this time period. And Claire kind of talked about this too, about this, like knowing that it's kind of, you know, pregnancy is not an injury, but you've gone through this traumatic experience of bringing a new human into the world. And that there are certain demands on your body in that recovery period that are really important to, to listen to. And so I, I, to me, it's like digging into that more of the, like, movement is movement and movement is important. And you can leave the watch behind, or you cannot look at it during the run. And you can just enjoy being out there, moving your body and kind of getting out of that comparison trap or feeling that rush to get back in. Cause I've got friends who it took them, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months to, to be back running or still working their way back to running in general. And so I think you're right. It's really, I want to praise the women who can run until they deliver. I want to praise and highlight the women who are, are returning to, you know, to running and racing, you know, two or three months postpartum, but I know that's not the reality for mm-hmm. so many people out there. And I think that you're right. Like it's important to recognize that, you know, that's, that's not going to be everyone's experience. It might not be our personal experiences down the road either. And mm-hmm. this, this is something that I will be like, okay, put that in the memory bank for later. Yeah. But it's obviously easier said than done because I felt like I could relate a lot to a lot of what she was saying just based off of injury. Because yes. I do think that when you're coming back from an injury, you have this desire to to rush it, right? You're like, okay, my doctor said I could start a run walk program at eight weeks. So like on the day, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna do a run walk program. But like like everything, like it's not so linear. And if you do rush your return from injury, or maybe you do rush your return for pregnancy, then that might put you up for for downstream like negative impacts later on. Right. And so you have to let go of some of that stuff and listen to your body. And then when you do return to running, like if you've just taken eight weeks off for an injury, or if you've just been pregnant and had a child and you're postpartum, like don't look at pace, like just feel yourself moving and appreciate that you're out there and able to actually be out there. And like, just just do everything that you can to enjoy it instead of putting all this pressure on it. But again, like I think even coming from it as a professional athlete, there's a little more pressure. There's a little more pretense, right? Like we think our sponsors want us back ASAP. And so I can understand that, you know, yeah, you're back and you're taking your time, but there's also this pressure to get back for your sponsors. And so um, I think it's really interesting when she talks about her story as she walks through all of the positives and negatives of her own pregnancy and how she's kind of been transitioning to getting back out there and how she's viewed her relationships with sponsors and how she's starting to, you know, address those things and think about getting back out into racing. so much that was surprising to me good and bad I mean good I was actually able to like ride my bike pretty hard like even until like the day that I went into labor which was really cool I didn't think I'd be able to do that so that was like a really fun like oh yeah I guess I still like can do some of this um most of the surprises like bad surprises or not bad but like tough things came after birth um uh, like <laughs> Julian, my son was early. He was at 36 weeks. So 
I was not mentally prepared for a lot of it. I thought I had more time and turns out I didn't. So he was like a nice little surprise. Um, and so I, um, I guess I hadn't thought about like birth and like what that was going to be like. And so afterwards I had like a grade three tear and, um, I bled for two months. I had no idea that was a thing that like you, it can be that traumatic and you need stitches and it can like take a really long time. Um, so that was like, I was like, why didn't anyone tell me about this or like talk about this? Um, so that, that was like very surprising. And I thought it would be me holding myself back after birth. Like, Oh no, don't, don't get out and move because like you need to let things heal. But it was more like my body just wasn't like it hurt. And I was tired and like, I just wanted to be home. And that was really surprising too, of like, like I was almost like, who is this person? And I'm still a little bit like that. I I'm running again and um, biking, but I haven't done anything super long. And partly because I just don't want to, like, I, like, I kind of want to just come home. And that's really weird to me because I was never like that. I was always like loving my time. Like, you know, I'm going to be gone for like three hours. I'll see you later. And now I'm just like, like today I could have run a little bit longer. I like, no, no, I just want to go home. Um, so that was surprising too. And I think it's really good to share some of these stories because you just feel like you're not crazy or you're not alone and like so much can happen and it is really tough and it's tough to feel supported um like especially during covid and we're coming out of it but it's still kind of weird and uh pregnancy and with a newborn is like very isolating and when you're like isolating even more because there's covid and like you don't want your little baby to get covid that can be really tough and I think the best way to support someone is to just reach out with like no strings attached, not like, Hey, can I schedule a phone call, a call, you know, so we can catch up. It's like, Oh, that might be the last thing you want to do. Just like a text or an email. That's just like, Hey, thinking of you, like, hope you're, you're well, like heart or something. That's like the best thing. Or just like sending a surprise of like, you know, like a, I had a friend send me a pastry from MHBB, which is like the local bakery here. And that just like made my day. But um, just knowing that people are thinking about you and you're not just like something isolated with like a new baby and not able to connect with your community because our community of runners is amazing. But when you can't run, you kind of feel like you're not part of it anymore. So I just think any way you can make a new mom feel like she's still part of it is really great. Yeah. And, and you talk a little bit about a community and I'm sure like getting back into it wasn't as easy as you thought as well. Did you feel any pressure from society in general to go back and like reach out to these communities where maybe you felt like society expected you to not be running again or, or going out with these communities because they expected you to stay home with your newborn? Like, did you feel the societal pressure to like maybe not run as much or not exercise as much or not hang out with your friends as much? Yeah, I feel it kind of both ways. Um, I felt that need to be relevant again in the running community to like get out to a start line. And I still haven't really done that. And it's kind of, if I'm just being totally honest, it's still hanging over me because I'm like, I don't want to just be like someone who had a baby and is suddenly irrelevant. 
And I struggle with that a lot of like, you know, I have like two, two things I can like talk myself through, like, no, you're your mom. And that makes you happy. And it does like I'm, I am, but I'm also like, this is what I do. And I just don't want people to forget about me. So that's, that's really hard to be honest. And I don't have a good uh, answer of how I've navigated that. Cause it's kind of day by day <laughs> and I'm still struggling, but I also do think, and maybe this is around here, but a lot of the moms are just like full-time caretakers and um, you know, they're all like doing like baby music classes and like going to the park and doing all these meetups. And I don't do that because I work full-time and I take care of my son full-time and I do feel some of the pressure of like, oh, you're not being a good mom because you, you don't read to him every single day or whatever. Actually, I do read to him every single day, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't do all the things that I could do if I had all the time in the world. And um, that's tough. And I, I do think we we place this, this um, I guess, responsibility on women or expectations of like what it should look like. And it's really unfair. And I, I don't think men will ever get it because they they can help with like, you know, the newborn, but they didn't just go through nine months of like carrying something in their body and like kind of giving up that time too. And then like suddenly having their body just destroyed and then being expected to be something, whether it is like be a full-time mom, which is super hard or like return to work. And like, that's really hard too for a number of reasons. So I, I think the society, we as a society have a lot to do on supporting women better. And like, there's very little out there. And I think companies that are supporting women, they're trying, but it's kind of just like a show. Because <laughs> I don't think what they're doing is actually enough. I think it's kind of like, oh, look at we're giving this, you know, support to this woman. It's like, that's nice. And that should just be like standard. But actually, they need a lot more. And that's not really talked about enough. Yeah, let's let's dig into that a little bit more, I think. I think this is something that's on on our minds. It's on my mind. I Steven and I had the had a, another talk today about like, okay, so this is 2022 and there's 2023 and then there's 2024, and you're gonna be a fourth year resident, and like I'm gonna be in this year of my contract. Like, when does the baby? try the baby trial fit type of thing, you know, like trying yeah. to like loosely plan this stuff out. But, you know, ever since like the New York Times op-ed dream maternity came out, you know, I think, I think we all knew this stuff was going on, but we didn't talk about it. And then Allison Felix and Alicia Montano, you know, like they, they brought a lot of this to the wider, like the wider media attention, right? Like people were like, oh, this is a thing. But truthfully, like we don't give anyone maternity leave really in this country. Yeah. So it's kind of a thing everywhere. Um, and so just kind of trying to understand like, so what could, you know, we we all have contracts, most of our contracts have NDAs um, of like in them as well, which makes talking about this stuff really difficult. But what can we, what can, what can athletes do when talking to their sponsors? What can sponsors do when talking to their athletes in and around negotiations and contracts? Like, women are in their prime in the sport of trail and ultra well into their forties. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that's, those are prime like years of being a mom too. So there should be a balance here to some degree. And I'm just, I want to, I want to dig into this a little bit. 
Yeah. Well, I think the first thing with an, a, a contract is like having a pregnancy clause in there. So it's like, you're not going to lose your sponsorship if you are pregnant. And that seems to be pretty standard now, which is great because it wasn't just like a few years ago and that's appalling. So I think that's, you know, something to, with any sponsor to just, that should be in there. If it's not in there, a conversation should be had about it. Um, but I also think that only goes so far, right? Because, okay, so say you're making your salary, but you lose out on a lot. You lose out on a whole lot. So, you know, like any podium incentives, any media incentives, anything that's above and beyond just the bare bones, because you're not going to be able to do that stuff. And it's not realistic to think, oh, maybe I can do some of that. It's like, if you do, it's probably not going to be to your best ability and it's going to be at the sacrifice of something. So I would love to see more support on like, you know, I, I don't want to say like increasing the salary, but increasing the support financially, because there's so much that you have to just like, that increases your cost of living, your cost of trying to get your body back so you can be an athlete again. So like pelvic PT, that's not covered. Um, when I was doing that, I went to this woman, she was in Santa Cruz, fantastic, but it was like, I have to get a babysitter. I have to drive myself two hours down there, pay out of pocket for this appointment, drive home, and then like repeat that, you know, a few times a month or whatever, whatever it is. And on paper, that doesn't sound like that big a deal. But when you have a newborn, like trying to do that and then like, oh, yeah, and I have to pump and like this is so much and so there's really no support for that kind of thing. And that pelvic PT is just one arm. The other things While that you working. need support. Well, work is like, when do you do that? Um, and then I think about like right now, I, anytime I want to run without the stroller, it's a babysitter. And that adds up. I am just, I just cannot think about it anymore because it's like, it's, it's really expensive. Uh, the other day I went to the track with a group and it was a $50 track workout. And I'm like, okay, this is just like this period of time in your life. Just like get through it. It won't always be like that. But I don't think companies realize how much it costs to have childcare. And it's not realistic to do your, all your training when you don't have support. And if you have a partner who's working full time, it's not like they can really just step in and like, okay, so I could do some during nap time, but that's also like my only free time without a baby. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I'm not going to choose to go jump on my trainer during that time because I actually want to eat lunch or I want to just like, like clear my head for a second. So, um, it, yeah, I think child support for the first, whatever, like few years after would be really helpful. Um, and I do know companies do that, but they give such a little amount that is really not helpful. And then I'm just like going on and on here, but everything you lose during that time too, like it all adds up. And then it creates this um, feeling of kind of like what I was describing, a feeling like I need to get out there and do a race. So I'm relevant again. So I can like, you know, <laughs> start getting these things back. And that's not a really a place I want to be in of like having that hang over me. But um, I will say sponsors have gotten better, but I did have a few drop me this last year. And it wasn't because of course, you know, they said like, it wasn't because you were pregnant or became a new mom. It was just, you know, the timing. And I was like, that's, 
what, what great timing, like, you know, there's, it's totally because of that. And if I was a male, that wouldn't be the, the, the same thing, because I could do some of the things I wasn't able to do as a female. So yeah, it's, we've got a long way to go. still. I place a lot of internal pressure on myself. Um, that's where a lot of mine is coming from. I, I do think, you know, I, I have a great sponsor who hasn't put any of that pressure on me, which has been really fantastic. I, you know, I, it's in my mind, it's like, it's been forever since you've done anything. Um, but I, if I look back, I've actually done a lot. Like, you know, my kid is 19 months old now and it's not like I've done nothing. So um, he's healthy and happy. But I do think women, place internal pressure on themselves. Um, I mean, men do too. And that's maybe the toughest one is like living up to your own expectations. But um, I do work with a couple women who have um, sponsors who are putting pressure on them. And that's a really hard thing to navigate. And I've encouraged them to like, uh, you know, move on (laughs) with their relationship with said sponsors, because you know, that's just showing that you don't value this person. It's like a transactional relationship. And it's like, you actually want someone who cares about you. And, you know, the things you can do are great, but they're not you. That's not, that doesn't define you. And so I think it all goes back to having those conversations, building those relationships with the sponsor. And like, I mean, a hundred percent having things in the contract that are going to be supportive. And, um, you know, if they aren't in there, like have a hard conversation. And if they're not willing to change things or make it how you feel like you can live with, then that's not a great relationship to have. And I, I know it's it's coming from a place of privilege to say, like, cut that relationship and like find a new one. But you want to you don't want to feel like you're just pigeonholed into something that is going to make you uncomfortable or going to make you live up to this lifestyle that's going to be totally unrealistic once you have a baby. And and to put a a positive spin on this too, because I I know a lot of women are probably like, you know, like Corinne, like on the cusp of like, oh gosh, this sounds terrible. Like you you, give up everything and like, you're not supported. I think there's never a right time. I think waiting until things are perfect, it's just like never going to happen. And I would just encourage women like to just like, you know, like be, just take an opportunity. Like, like don't wait if that's something that you want to do because you don't think everything is going to align perfectly. The trade-offs, and I don't even want to say a trade-off, but like for me, I just found like, I wasn't sure. And I didn't know if I wanted to be a mom. There was like X, Y, Z. That was like reasons not to do this right now. And it just kind of like <laughs> was a terrible time, but it was the best thing ever. And it's like such a positive addition. If that's what you want in your life, like don't wait until you think it's going to be perfect because there's never a right time and nothing goes to plan. And it can be a really great thing. It doesn't have to be like, I'm talking about the the, the parts of it that are tough, but there are parts of it that are so great. And I think that do make me a better athlete. Um, and a better coach and a better, you know, someone who just can be more relatable because I do get it. And uh, I'm just like so impressed by women who do all this stuff now. And it's like, we're really amazing. <laughs> men are like, I don't want to say like, men, you're not amazing, but like women really step up when you need to. And it's really incredible what your body can do. I mean, 
to like go through pregnancy, grow human, birth a human, continue growing a human by breastfeeding it, um, function as a, as an adult, all while being totally under, uh, slept and probably under fueled to some extent. It's like, wow. Uh, so it's a really, really cool experience, I think. And, um, just shows how strong women are. So before we uh, get really sassy here in a second, I just want to give Steph a shout out, okay? Because she's like, you know, oh, I'm working my way back in. I really haven't been running a whole lot or I haven't, you know, like, and she points out she doesn't, doesn't just doesn't want to be away from Julian. And I totally get that. Um, I know puppies are different than babies, but like, I feel that. I'm like, Petey's been home for six hours. Ah, um, so we got to give her a shout out. She got a black shirt at Dipsy this year. She's getting ready to go over for OCC. Steph is fast. And I think she, I don't think she, uh, I think she downplays that a little bit. So big shout out, Steph. We see you and we see the hard work you're putting in. But um, can we talk about how I think impassioned and angry and uh, I don't know, full of, full of, uh, full of feelings we felt during that, just like nodding in agreement as far as like, yes, we've, we've, the scale is tipping. Our contracts are no longer going to be terminated if we announce that we're pregnant, but man, we have a long way to go. (laughs) Yeah. And I think one thing we were talking about to Steph offline was uh, how she kind of said, like, there shouldn't be a 50 year old white man writing my contract about pregnancy. And, you know, it's kind of true. Obviously they probably can't quite understand the extent at which it does impact your career. Um, And yeah, to your point, it's like, yeah, we're allowed to have children now and our contracts might not be negated, but like, that's all right. It's just staying stagnant. And most contracts, like a lot of my friends who are pregnant, that none of their contracts even have maternity leave. So it's like they're getting the state required, you know, two or three weeks of maternity leave. Think about that in relation to if you have a C-section or you have any sort of complications, that's pretty much the amount of time you'll be in the hospital. And then the other people have to take PTO or sick leave or ask for unpaid leave. And it's all from having a child, which is crucial to like the development of our nation, right? Of the world. Like that is our at our core, our biggest contribution to society. And we are like hardly able to do it. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're complaining. I was gonna say bitching. I'm not sure if that's what I should say. Uh, I was gonna say we're bitching about um, our contracts, but you're right. Like we don't have maternity leave in this country. We don't have paternity leave in this country. There are some state, you know, there are some things that are state by state. Um, I don't have, you know, I'm a coach. I don't have, I don't get maternity leave per se. Um, Steph didn't get maternity leave really. Actually, we, we divvied up her athletes essentially to give her a month, um, after, after having Julian just to be like, Hey, their, their plans were already written by Steph. And then we were there to kind of be the, like the gates, like you got injured. Let me help. You have a question. Let me help leave Steph, you know, and Julian to be. And, and that's, that was the most we could, we could do essentially. And it's like, Yes, contracts are one thing and professional athletes are definitely struggling on that front, but this is, you know, not this is not just a professional athlete problem. This is a this is a a parent, a parent problem, um, particularly in the US. You know, she mentions that it cost her $50 to do a track workout the other day. And like it's right. like, oh right, being a parent's different. 
Yeah. Yeah. And at this time, like you're not able to make any sort of bonus pay. So if you do have a contract that has bonuses lined up for racing, and that's how you're supplementing some of your income, you're not able to have that. And so, yeah, you might still get your base salary, but if you have to pay $50 to $100 every time you want to train to get back to said races, that adds up really quickly, right? And you're not having any of this additional income come in. So it's it's really tricky. And I think hopefully in the future, we see employers like across the world or at least across the United States, start implementing something for women during these first couple of months of maternity leave, at least to like assist in all these additional costs so that, you know, it's not as huge of a financial burden um, as it is right now. Yeah. And I mean, in previous episodes, we talked about like barrier to entry, right? Like, you know, your clothes don't fit you anymore. Like your, your, your boob size is changing rapidly. Like how do you find a sports bra that fits? So it's like, there's all these things that I don't think, that I don't think we, you know, you and I realize at times. I don't think there's things that our managers realize at times, you know, some contracts, if you've got a bonus structure, maybe that's worth as much or more than your retainer for the mm-hmm. year. And all of a sudden, if you can't earn it because you can't race, um, if it is performance, if it is race performance dictated, like that's a huge chunk of change for a lot of folks. And so it's, uh, yeah, there's uh, we got some work to do and I really love, you know, having these conversations because I hope they spur ideas within our community, ideas within um within our team structures. We've got to give a lot of praise to people like Allison Felix and Alicia Montano for, you know, the Dream Maternity New York op-ed that came out because that that started to at least pr- protect us in our contracts for when we did get pregnant or for when we do get pregnant. But there's still, you know, they the two of them actually, um, with and mother, you know, they provided daycare for people at U.S. National Championship this year, because there isn't childcare at these events for competing mothers. So I just think that it's overlooked. There's all this unpaid labor that, pr- like, predominantly falls to to the maternal figure in the household. You know, that includes childcare, which is really expensive if you're going to pay for it out of pocket, as opposed to just assume that you know, the maternal figure is going to take care of that child and be the, that stay at home parent until they can be in pre-K, but it it's not cheap. And so I don't know. I think there's so much we can do. I think race organizers, right. Can offer childcare. You know, I think, I think sponsors can offer, if you're going to pay for PT, maybe you should pay for babysitting. Um, so I think, yeah. you know, just the, the gears are turning and I think that this entire series has prompted, has prompted that for me is like a lot of gears turning as to how we can make this better for everyone. Yeah. I like your point about the physio. Cause it's like, if we can have a physio allowance for us being injured, that is something that deters us from running, you know, why wouldn't we have a maternity allowance to help us get through that time as well? So. Managers hit us up. <laughs> We can talk about this. We can talk about this. uh, NDAs included. No, I just think, you know, we can joke about contracts all we want, but I I do think that like, this is something that I, I don't know if I said this while we were recording live or not, but yeah, like we're probably looking at like a two or three year window of potentially starting a family. And, you know, we've got really good friends like Rachel Drake and Tyler Green that are very close to starting to like having a little one in the household. And it's, it's, I think it's becoming as, as I've gotten older, something that I, it's, it's on the forefront of my mind now. And so I feel like, I mean, I hope that these are conversations that I get to start having with, with our team management to try to figure this out before, before being like, Hey, also I'm pregnant. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. But in general, I'm so grateful that Steph was willing to chat about this with us and talk about, you know, the, the nuances she's had with some of her contracts, as well as just some of the athletes she's worked with in their contracts. And so I think having conversations like this will really help us going forward. Um, for those of you who don't know who Steph Howe is, you should look at her up on Instagram. We'll link to her Instagram and her um, website in our show notes. So you can find her that way. And if you need anyone to help you with your dietary needs during your training, um, she is your gal. Yeah. Phenomenal coach, phenomenal nutritionist. So, uh, Cannot, cannot praise the brilliant Steph Howe enough. As always, our last little tidbit for you, Society Slam, brought to you by Aura Ring, who were recently named one of the best sleep trackers on the market, um, which is pretty cool. They're, they're doing things right. So if you have not yet checked out Aura Ring, this is your chance to do so. When you purchase an Aura Ring, you get the first six-month subscription free. So go give it a gander. Links are in our show notes. Keely, you have a great society slam for us this week, and we'd love to kind of dig into it for a hot second. Yeah. So I got a nice DM from a gentleman asking if we could talk through our crew delegations for different races. He asked me specifically about Western States and like what kind of roles you give out to your crew and then how did that end up working? Um, and yeah, I think it's a really good question because I think the crew is really important, especially for something like Western States where they function a lot more like a pit crew because you're in and out of there relatively quickly. And there's a lot of moving pieces, right? Like cooling and fueling and hydrating and all that kind of stuff, sunscreen application. And so, yeah, I actually created little names for my crew. I had like a nutrition queen or king, a hydration queen or king, a bottle queen or king, and then like a cooling queen or king. And they all had different roles. So someone was in charge of filling up my bottles with what I wanted in them. So I always had written out like, oh, I want rocket in the bottles here. I want water in the bottles here the nutrition queen or king was getting all of the wrappers out of my pockets and putting in the nutrition that I wanted to hold me over to the next aid station. Um, the, the cooling queen or king was only like their only job was taking the buff off my neck, refilling it with ice, putting it on top of me, and then just dousing me with more, with more water and ice water. And then, um, the hydration queen or king was there with like my Pedialyte <clears throat> Um, my, my goo electrolyte drink and then water and coconut water and just having them out readily available for me to grab and make sure I was drinking and eating while I was standing there and everyone was doing their job. Um, and compare that to the year before where I had a crew of one at one aid station, my boyfriend JT had to do everything. And we, we missed a lot because obviously I came in super frazzled. He was terrified because like I'm coming in frazzled. It's a hundred mile race, a lot of pressure. Um, and so it was a lot better this year where I actually delegated roles and nobody had to question like what they were supposed to do. And I didn't have to make decisions of like, Hey, I actually need to be cooled off. I need to be hydrated. I need to start eating. And they were just making me do all of these things. Yeah. Delegate to your crew and and they get to make those decisions. Same thing at Badwater. It was like, I, I was the, I was in charge of, uh, of the whole crew for my runner, just because that person couldn't make decisions anymore. I think the other piece of that puzzle, I did something similar at Western States, but it was like, I had a crew chief and Steven, and then I had my two pacers and that group of three functioned as my everything. Um, so there were times where I might only had two crew because I had a pacer with me, but they could, they could kind of get, get to work. And so they, Steven delegated, Steven became my, I gave him chief delegator role. And so he, he had his list of things that everything, everything that needed to be done at every aid station, but then he could say, you know, like Nikki, you're on this, you know, Sarah, you're on that type of thing and, and get me through that as opposed to crews can get really big, really fast. And that can be super, super overwhelming. And that is in stark con contrast to UTMB where you get one ticket for one individual 
to come into the aid station to help you out. And so it's a little bit, it's a totally different world um, at a race at these European races where it's like, you're allowed one person um, type of situation. So you, I think that puts more responsibility maybe on the runner for some in race, like in race functionality. Right. I mean, and for UTMB, like there's, you can break it up into sections and you might like on a good day, you might not see them for like six hours at a time. I mean, this reminds yeah, me least. of TD, TD, TDS too, as like, you know, I basically had to carry enough for 50 K at a time, mm-hmm. um, running in the mountains, you know, like with like 2000 meter climbs every time. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot. Cause like, you know, you go, like, I would always do that in my head of like having a checklist of, okay, like, what do I need? And like saying that to my crew, shout out to Elise Mordos, who's going to be my crew chief at UTMB. She, if anyone can handle it, she can. She a hundred percent can. She's got that list, New York attitude, New York vibe, the list, like get the hell out of my way. She fits right in with the French from that, from that atmosphere. Yep. Yeah. It's good. It's it's important. You, the person I think needs to be that combination of, of willing to listen to you, but also willing to like know when to push you. I've got, I've got four men racing UTMB this year. I've got a big dude crew at UTMB. I've got four guys in UTMB. I've got a guy in TDS and a guy in CCC. And I've like had talks with my UTMB guys and I'm like, you know what? It's really easy to drop out of Cormier you know what? It's really easy to drop drop out at Champagne Lock and you've got one crew person and it's their job to get you out of that aid station. Like you need to have a really frank conversation with them right now about what you're willing to drop out over. And -hmm. it's probably very little. And like, they need to hold you to that. And they need to say, I'll see you in 50 K. Like I'll see you at the next aid station because, um, it's really easy in these long races with that one. And it's a ton of responsibility for one person to be like, I'm sending this individual back out into the world. Um, and hopefully they're okay until I see them again. Like that, that's really hard, but it's a, that's a really important task. I'm trying to, uh, count how many non, um, non-Americans, uh, you know, based other people, I know we have a lot of like a different audience, um, according to our viewership and, um, I've gotten so far seven people from like all over Europe, um, who are listening to us and they really like it. The cutest thing so far was someone in Chamonix, um, her, her dad, who's running UTMB, um, very shyly had his daughter meet me and said hello to us on behalf, uh, 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 like on behalf of her. So it was really cool to see the, the enthusiasm for what we're doing, even in Europe and the trail running community. That's, that's super cool. I've gotten a lot of like, you got to find people in Germany who can do the same thing. I was like, I've got some people, I've got a team at <laughs> Kimmy who would be great for this. Um, but it's, it is cool to see that listenership growing. I have one quick thing. I had someone slide into my DMS this morning ahead of recording saying, Hey, I got COVID five weeks out from my goal hundred K I'll be four weeks out after I get out of isolation. Like, is that okay? And it's like, man, everyone's experience is different, but I also got COVID five weeks, four and a half weeks pre TDS. And, uh, it has to be okay because I'm going to go run and we'll see how it goes. So it's partially, you know, partially taking care of yourself and being gentle and partially just being like, I'm going to go do this thing. And maybe my goals have shifted, but you know, I'm still going to get on the start line and, and kind of see what happens out there. So that's my, that's my word of advice to to the individual who slid into my DMS this morning, <laughs> frantic about COVID. So I feel you on that and it's not easy, but 
I think that's it for us for today. Thanks for bearing with us. Hopefully you took us out on your long run because this was a long one. Um, But keep sliding into our DMs. We love conversing with you. We've got some cool stuff from Free Trail coming out very, very soon. But thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you out on the trails.